administration remembers where they were December 7th, 1941. That was the day Pearl Harbor was attacked. My parents' generation remember the day of November 22nd, 1963. That being the day John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Our generation will always remember 9-11, September 11th, 2001. I remember that morning I was preparing to work a shift at Costco. I remember being there and it seemed like everybody was in the break room and, and you saw all the display TVs that Costco puts out and they were showing the same thing over and over and over. I remember uh, I was dating Heather at the time and she was going to school in Canada and I remember the border lineup being an extra hour or even two every time I went up to visit her. And then there was the attack on Columbine, Aurora, Colorado in the movie theater, Oregon, Sandy Hook, Virginia Tech, Burlington, and now Las Vegas. All changing how we view even the ability to step outside. And even more destructive, the natural disasters of the tsunami in Japan and Hurricane Katrina and the super tornadoes of the southern states of the east, Hurricane Matthew and Sandy and the Oso mudslide, and now Maria, Harvey, Irma. Natural disasters that seemingly we can do nothing about. Can we pray for them now? Let's pray. Lord, we lift up those that are, have been affected by the recent events of this world. Lord, we pray for them. We pray for their families, the people of Vegas, the people of Florida and Texas, those affected by the hurricanes or those who've had the loss of life. Lord, we cherish so much our time here. And so we ask for comfort, where comfort is needed, strength, where strength is needed. Lord, it seems like all we can do is pray, but it's such a powerful thing. And so we petition you this morning to be with those families, for you to shine in the darkest of places of this world, for the scariest of situations, the the biggest loss, may you be present with your light. May you drown out the darkness. May we be in tune with you to do all that we can for those that are around us. We pray this in your name. Amen. We can be praying for these people. See, there's so much to worry about in this world. And I just mentioned you know, the things that seemingly maybe don't even affect us immediately right here, but we have bills to pay and kids to raise and, and uh, you know, things piling up against us, work, not out of work, all these things piling up, acts of violence. And for some of them, illness, for some of them, we can just barricade ourselves in. We can uh, shut ourselves into our house and not go out. We can... Uh, stay well and not get sick if we just don't come in contact with people or we can hide 
from certain things we have in our life, but some of these things we just can't avoid. And the fear that we have from these things can isolate us. So how do we handle this? How do we handle the worry and the anxiety we have in our lives? How do we label why or how that defines us as we compartmentalize our lives in the experiences we have affecting, that affect how we live? This morning, I, over the last few weeks, I've been, you know, obviously we've been working through this series called Fearless, which in its title itself is not what we're seeking to accomplish. Fear is real. We'd be lying if we said we didn't have it. And we'll look at whether or not we're even to get rid of it today. But I came up with some, some general ideas of how we view real fear in our lives. How uh, maybe a combination of one or, or all three of these and how we view it. The first one is nothing happens by chance. And this is a myth. This isn't truth. This is the idea that the world uh, is just totally just. And we serve a just God and that everything that happens is righteous judgment that we deserve. Maybe that's a thought that you've had about something that you're struggling with in your life. It's false. Our God is not a God that does judgment through wiping out through natural disaster or through uh, the horrific things that we've seen. This is a spin on, even not even true, this idea of karma, which is a, a Buddhist way of thinking that uh, we deserve something because of something that we've done in our lives. There's actual people who call themselves Christians who think the earthquake in San Francisco be, was because of immoral living that was going on. Or the flood that wiped out Louisiana is because of what goes on in Louisiana's nightlife. That is false in the God that we serve today. The second one is that everything is just a mess. That this life is just a mess and the world is contaminated by evil people and evil things and that there's no higher power that will come in, no divine guardian that will help. And that as people, we can trust no one. We expect the worst and, only, uh, and are only out for ourselves. Survival of the fittest falls into this idea. And this is living under the trap theory of there is no safe place to live, so I will only live in the safe place that I create. This one, too, is false, but widely used. Even I can say that I admit that I have fallen into this sometimes in the way I view the things that we face. And then number three is faith that God is greater than our circumstances. Faith, faith that God has authority and is greater than our circumstances. That yes, this world is a dangerous place, but I can maintain my faith and that God has planted in us the capacity to contend and overcome our fears. And more than that, that there is a creator with us and that he's on our trail with us and he wants to weather the storm 
and has authority over everything. See, in the Bible, more than 80 times, the Bible, God says to not be afraid. Most of the time it's phrased, fear not. God says it to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He repeats it four times in a row to Joshua as he takes over for Moses. To the prophets, and the prophets were the people who were on earth to tell, uh, to communicate God's word to everybody. He says to the prophets, do not be afraid. And then he actually commands them to tell the people to not be afraid as well. Why do you think God reiterates to us so much to not be afraid? I think it's because there are so many things in this world that can frighten us, that we can be afraid of, and God knew that. But I also believe the flip side of that is true in that he doesn't want it to dominate us. He doesn't want, us, want it to control who we are. Living a life of fear keeps us from the full potential of life that God has created us for. Living in fear keeps us from what our creator, the one who created a purpose in each one of us, it keeps us from that purpose. And ultimately, like I shared with the kids, from that joyful life. Or actually being able to see God's joy in the way he's working in our circumstances. Paul, one of the most prolific authors in the New Testament, writes these words about fear, worry, and anxiety. And these are words that you've, if you've been in church at all or even if you've walked through uh, you know, a, a sentimental uh, you know, part of the card store in the, in the grocery store where the cards are sold, you've maybe seen this verse. And we're actually going to look at uh, the before and the after of this verse. But the anchor of the verse that we see that Paul wrote is this, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And I believe for us, I think some of us just need to understand that simply enough, that God cares for me, that we can have this right view of who God is and how he cares for us. And then in that alone, it will grow our ability to see and deal with the fear and anxiety in what we face. God cares for you. God cares for you. He wants us to know that he's willing to cast his life aside and that we may know and have the hope of life of something better than what we're facing. Hope that can get us through the darkest of times if we can just trust that no matter what, in him, our worries and our fear and anxiety will not control us. Our goal in this series, as I've stated over and over, is not the absence of fear. Not to eliminate fear in our lives as well. I know Jesus mentioned fears so much in the Bible, Bible and it's very prevalent, but it would actually be a mistake if we were to be able to eliminate our fear, I believe. Because for some, a small dose of fear brings alertness, awareness, reliance, and even life. But an overdose of unchecked fear leaves us emotionally closed, paralyzed to the point of no action in our lives. 
an inability to move maybe at all. Our goal is not to eliminate fear. It is to master our fears. Sounds like a Jedi comic, doesn't it? Master your fears. But see, the mastery of our fears only comes through the one who created us, who gives us purpose and understanding in our lives. Matthew 6, 25 through 27 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air and do not, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone of you by worrying add a single hour to our lives? I like to think that life in this verse is maybe all capital letters. Because the idea of worry and our worry and anxiety and fear in our lives keeps us from life. Fear and anxiety is a bully that holds us back. Mastering our emotions instead of being a slave to them. I have some bad news for us this morning. I know I really haven't even got to the good news yet, but I'm going to start with the bad news. Bad things will come to you. Encouraging, right? You can come to church and learn that bad things are going to come to me. You can laugh or not. Genesis, Genesis 3, page 3 of the Bible is the reason for that. God created everything. God created man and woman, and then we messed it up. Bad things will come to you. And I'm sorry if you did not understand that. I'll give you the opportunity now to get up and walk out because you didn't, maybe didn't sign up for that. But it's true. If I asked you to raise your hand, if you've had a bad thing come on you in life or you've struggled through something or if you've had fear, we would all raise our hand. And from here on, we will all have something like that come to us in our life. But now what do we do with this? Like we live in the presence of the one who created us. We live in the one who lived, died, and defeated death so that we can call on him. So that we can cast our lives to him and that we may have the only hope that can suppress the fears that we face in our lives. I think of, and, and there's a lot of parents in the room, and I'm a parent, so I use that as an analogy often that in football. It's football season, so I'll do kids this week, football next week. But uh, I was just talking about it through my head. Uh, I think of our children, and as they're younger, we put them to bed. And, I, and when we put them to bed, uh, you know, some of them maybe need a nightlight or a door open, or there's a real fear of, like Avery's not up here. She wants her closet door closed. She wants all of her drawers closed, like everything closed in her room for fear of whatever's in the closet. And if you've ever tried to convince a young child that there's no monsters in the closet and then you watch any kid show these days, you're like, I mean, you just, there's, no, there's no competing with that. So instead, we bring the nightlight into the room, right? The lightness draws a contrast and makes everything all right. And I think of that analogy when we look at 
casting our fears and our anxiety onto the one who created us. See, in our own heads, in our secluded, self-settling environment, in our own created safe place, we distort the fear. When we're in the darkness on our own, we over-exaggerate the peril that we face or lose track of whose we are and who created us. See, we live outside the care of the Father who cares for us, as we've looked at. We let the hope that we, that, that we, let the hope that we only have slip into the darkness. And we can no longer see it. And, and, and let me tell you, this is what Jesus is all about. Like if we read the Bible, we, we know that people flock to him for his miracles. But I would say even more than that, people flock to Jesus because of the hope that he provides. People flock to Jesus because they see the hope that you have and that I have and that we have in him. It's a hope that couldn't be more timely for us in our positions of fear. I think to go with the three ways we view fear, I came up with three responses that we might have to fear. I think we all do some of them. The first one, the first response to fear that we can have is, I've got it. I've got it handled. Like, I'm going to take care of it. Uh, You know, I don't need any help. And this is where we've lost track of the light and the hope of Jesus where we try our best to handle and battle and cope with the fears that are in our lives and we feel that, that I have a better grasp and ability in dealing with that fear. More so than the one who created us, more so than uh, the one who uh, has our interests in mind. And the next one is ease my fear. Our response can be, even to God, ease my fear. And this is where we take our fears to God and ask him to ease our pain, ease our fear, ease our anxiety, ease our worry in our lives. This can be through our prayers, through our trust in the one, through our faith in the one that created us. And we actually, even in doing this, we believe that Jesus has the power or God has the ability to ease that fear in our lives and eliminate and work in the circumstances that we face in our lives. This is a place, it's great. Like it works, it does, it works. God will actually, might even work in this position with us when we come to him and say, ease my whatever, fear, pain, anxiety, ease what I am dealing with in my life. But if we actually, if we really look at our lives, if we really look at our fears and anxiety in that way where we say, you know, God, do this, I think if we're incredibly honest with ourselves, this, even, even if we bring this to God, we see our God as something that is so much smaller than he actually is. Like, it might be in our lack of really thinking 
uh, or, or to really think God will do or be capable of, but it's also uh, our view of God overall. Like we view God uh, and ease my pain, uh, ease my fear, ease my anxiety, worry. As it's actually a small kind of selfish prayer. And uh, church, I want to apologize to you because I was convicted of this this week. And, um, and, I, and I sincerely apologize because I've not always portrayed God to be his ultimate truth, uh, his, his purpose uh, in, in, in God in his entirety for us. It was really revealed to me this week as I was uh, away with uh, some pastors and hanging out and we really got together and talked through some of this. Mm. If you've turned to the back of your bulletin already, I want you to turn back to the front page where it says, uh, God cares for you. Uh, I put, quote, put, put little marks right there next to it. You were like, well, what is that for? I want you to write this in it. God cares for you. It's just not about you. I want you to write that in there. And I, I apologize. That might actually, uh, may go against even what you've heard me say at times from the front because that, pre that message preaches like God wants to ease your pain and your fear and your suffering and he's here to do that for you if you just come to him with that. God cares for you. It's just not about you. See, it's about... Over, it's about you overcoming your fear. And it's, that idea is so incredibly small. It paints God in this small depiction that he's just a little bigger than the lamp you can carry him in and rub it and be like, hey, could you take care of my fear in my life and, 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 and what I desire and what I need in my life? God cares for you, and he is the greatest advocate, the go-between, the reliever. He strengthens, he consoles, and he eases. And he knows what you are facing because he's faced it through Jesus who lived on this earth and faced every emotion and everything that we could face. He faced it. And it's this idea that it's not about me that brings the confidence that I need to know that God is going to work in my fear. Because it's about him bringing the hope that you need to everyone. It's about his glory and his renown in your life. That's a word that I really grabbed onto at 19 years old, and it's in Isaiah that it's for his renown for his glory as to why we live. So the third response we can have in our fear is it is for your glory and your renown, God. It is for your purpose and who you are that, you, that I'm confident that you're gonna work through my fears and you're gonna, you're gonna have the story of glory. Yeah, that's kind of cool. We, you tweet that out. I think it might work if anybody tweets. I don't tweet or tweet or whatever it is. But your story will be God's glory. Like the way he works through your fear and the confidence you have in who he is and how he's going to work 
will be what everybody sees and will cause the desire for them to then want that in their lives. I love, I love uh, the disciples in the book. If you don't know the disciples in the Bible, they're Jesus' 12 friends. And, and I love the disciples because they give me hope. It's true. It's true. Because I look at them and I think, man, God will use anybody. Because oftentimes they get it wrong. And probably for you guys, it's seeing me up here, right? Like, Brian. <laughs> I mean, I'm a forklift driver at best. You know, like. 15 years at Costco and, and forklift, my ability to drive a fork, I don't know, it's been a while now, but I think I'd probably get back on, it's like riding a bike. But seeing me up here or seeing the disciples gives us hope that God is going to use us. And there's this time, uh, and it's at the end of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, uh, it's at the end of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Jesus is... It's come to the end of his time, and he's appearing to his disciples, and he's told them that he's going to go on, and, and he's going to leave them, and, and they're, they're kind of wrestling through that whole thing, and, and Jesus gives them the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Remember that? And so he tells them that they're going to go out and tell everybody about Jesus. And I love, I love the disciples' reaction. We get the disciples' reaction if we jump to Acts, which is the story of the early church starting. In, 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 in Acts 1-6, they've gathered, and this is bef just before Jesus was called up to heaven, and they gather, and Jesus tells them they're going to go, and, and, uh, and, 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 and he's, they've had all the lessons, and they say, Lord, when you go, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And so Israel was the Jewish people, and, and the disciples at this time would have thought, well, you know, I mean, all the power or all the authority is with God's people, with the Israelites, with Israel is what they called them. And, and, and they're saying, okay, well, now that you're going to go, are you going to give all the power back to our little group of people? And Jesus had just taught them over and over and over about how he'd come for the whole world and everything had changed and, 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 and that it was going to be for all people, Jews, Gentiles, the same Gentiles being people that just weren't Jewish. And, and he had taught that lesson to them over and over. And at the very last second they say, well, now you're going to give us all our power back? Like, like it's all going to be back to me, right? Like I'm gonna, we're going to be restored and we're going to be able to like rule again and reign. And, and Jesus Man, guys, seriously? Like, I, I mean, I, I question whether or not Jesus thought he should even leave at this point. Like, I'm going to leave it in their hands? But I love this because it reinforces what I often struggle with. If I approach God with the idea of ease my pain and, and be in my fear and deliver me and whatever it is that I'm facing, how often do I just run back to be like, thanks, God? I got it from here. I can handle it. And not too long later, I come right back to it. And so for the disciples, it gives me hope. And so in 1 Peter, if we look before that verse that we looked at where we cast our anxiety onto him, it says this, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 
So when I take hold of it or I take it back from God or I try to, I've got it, I've got it from here, that's me being proud. Like I can do a better job than God can. And it says right there, God opposes the proud. It says, humble yourself. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And then it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself unto God. It's not about you. If your God that you worship has you in the middle of the picture, it's a small God. Humble yourself. God opposes the proud. God is like, you think you got that? Go ahead. Here, let me hold your drink. You know, like, go ahead. Take it on yourself. We have to humble ourselves to God and give it to him over and over. See, it's when it's about God's glory and his renown that God will always win. And God will always show up. Psalm 71, 14, as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. See, we're so gripped in our lives by entertainment. And I think the suspense and danger of the peril that the main characters face in any movie. We were at the library yesterday and this woman was checking out a stack of movies. We are going through the movies and, oh, yeah, I've seen that one. And I've seen, have you seen these? Yeah, I've seen that one and seen that one. And we were talking through them. And a lot of the movies have this good guy, bad guy, or this guy who, who's in peril, or this, this situation that he faces. And, and a lot of those movies, we love them. And I think we love them because it's the reassuring, we fe the feeling we have when, when we come away with, the monster being destroyed or the good guy winning in the movies and being eliminated. Millions would stand in line at the thought of Harry Potter vanquishing Lord Voldemort, right? And I think we hang on, when we hang on to our fear and anxiety because it's not put to rest or it doesn't come to a conclusion that we could have the same sense of, and I don't like to say entertainment, maybe reassurance in who Christ is if we would allow him to defeat the anxiety that we have in our lives. That same attraction to who Christ is would be the same attraction maybe we get from a really good movie. See, what should grip us is that Jesus is always the hero and will always win when we put him in the right place. It may not look exactly like we want it to look, but we have to trust and humble ourselves to it. He is always waiting in the wings to be the victor. And oftentimes we think we're the victor, the one that wins in the situation. And in that case... It's maybe our small prayers and small understanding that God revolves around us that keeps us from really seeing what God has for us. After verse 7 in 1 Peter, it says this. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. 
because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Church, I'm sorry to say this, but we don't even understand suffering in our, where we're at in this world or even in this understanding of God. But there are believers all over, even in this room, that are going through the things that we're going through. And actually, it's, this is kind of saying that that can be an encouragement to us. And then it says, in the God of all grace who called you to this eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, I like that, maybe a little sense of humor from God, I'm going to let you be there for a little bit. I'm still here, though. Will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray.